0: This is Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com.
1: I know just from being a leader in college, uh, you gotta you gotta prove yourself first. You can't just claim you can't self claim yourself as a leader uh, without people really knowing how much ho- I mean how hard you work and how much you push your players. Uh, so right now, man, I'm really just focusing upon getting myself together, getting myself right, and being the best me I can be. And then my teammates, you know, hopefully can see that. See, I'm working hard and just see I'm trying to be the best I can be. And that com- and that becomes good, uh, to be a leader. So one thing Clay always told me was you work on yourself. The people will follow. That's all I've been doing, man. I'm just trying to be the best me.
2: That is Josh Allen, Jaguars' young star, pro bowler in his rookie season. Where does he go in year two? We'll talk a little bit more about Josh Allen on the way. Uh, He's going to be asked to be a leader on the football team. Whatever that means, how you define it, it is going to be a question of Josh Allen. And I like what he said there. Hey, come with me, boys. Watch how I work out. Watch how I practice. Watch how I play. Simple enough. Uh, and and Calais Campbell was a big believer in that. Calais Campbell had some of the messages to those guys. One of them was, hey, don't worry about talking about yourself. Uh, let everybody else talk for you, you know, yeah. uh, which is interesting in this day and age. That's kind of more old school thinking and old school. I'm talking 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Back <laughs> when I, point. I,
0: <laughs> Back when I played, you know, um, listen, it, it's a testament to Calais Campbell and just the importance of. Um, of that leadership that can trickle down to the young talent. Here's the only thing that I'm a little concerned with with Josh Allen. You know, and, and listen, I mean, do I think he's going to be a special player? You better believe it. Do I think he's going to be a great leader? You better believe it. So this is more of me just kind of playing the, you know, I guess the devil's advocate right here. But traditionally, great leadership, Brent, it's great leadership because they've been there before when it's going good. Right, Like, Clayus Campbell has had a successful season. Clayus Campbell almost went to the Super Bowl here in Jacksonville, you know, one game away, obviously. So has Miles Jackson, so has a couple other guys in that locker room. But to me, like, the great leaders, they're made when they're success because they know how to do it right. You know, they they know what it took to get to that point. I mean, I, I can list countless, countless times that I've played with guys who have been to a Super Bowl, even like an Aaron Ross. Now, Aaron Ross, obviously, is going to, you know, people are going to say, well, Aaron Ross didn't pan out well for Jacksonville.
2: And vacation say, guy, you're absolutely right. Not a big fan. Here but, in Jacksonville, but the big of Ross. thing when he came in,
0: though, is he got up in front of the team and said, "This is what you have to do. Like this is how you get there." So to me, it helps having that leadership that's had success, whether it's individual success or team success, where that they know the blueprint and they know what you what he has to do, obviously, but also what the whole team has to do. Obviously, with Josh Allen right now, he came into a pretty bad situation. You go six and ten, and now they have to go off that. I just would prefer if a lot of my leaders on that team have had that taste of winning, have had that taste of success. And let's be honest, right now, a lot of guys in the locker room, Brent, haven't had it.
2: No, they really haven't. Uh, And so they're going to have to try to find it together. We'll talk more about the Jags uh, coming up in a little bit. Big news on the NCAA front. Uh, The NCAA and President Mark Emmert saying, Our decisions place emphasis where it belongs on the health and safety of college athletes. Here's the deal with the NCAA. They have an opt-out possibility. All student-athletes must be allowed to opt-out of participation due to concerns about contracting COVID-19. If a college athlete chooses to opt-out, that individual's athletic scholarship commitment must be honored by the college or university. You like the ruling.
0: That the university still has to uh, – yeah, absolutely. I mean, how how could you not like that? To me, it's common sense. Something
2: that finally protects a student-athlete. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Eligibility. Each division must determine no later than AUG 14th, which is coming up next uh, Friday, the eligibility accommodations that must be made for student-athletes who opt out of participating this fall or for those whose seasons are canceled or cut short due to COVID-19. College athletes – and their families must know what their eligibility status will be before beginning the fall season. So that's a division by division. In a way, the NCAA here overall is passing the buck to Division One, Division Two, and Division Three because they're saying, you know what, Division One isn't the same as Division Three. Uh, and I get that. That's True. Uh, I, well, so, listen. In
0: terms of resources, dollars, on, let's be all, what's, yes.
2: what's at stake? Yes. Uh, so there, that makes sense. And by the way, they're giving the families and, and kids a chance to know by August 14th what the rulings are. Sure. Uh, medical expenses. Member of schools may not require student athletes to waive their legal rights regarding COVID-19 as a condition of athletics participation. This is very interesting. There's more to it right there. But that was part of the We Are United. Saying, hey, we're not signing these waivers mm-hmm. to put it all on us. Mm-hmm. And the Big Ten actually just did a whole We Are United thing, came out with less requests. But one of them was, I think, that same thing. Yeah. Uh, member schools in conjunction with existing insurance standards must cover COVID-19 related medical expenses for student athletes to prevent out-of-pocket expenses for college athletes and their families. So As they should. It's a nice little insurance policy. For student-athletes, that's like an added thing. You didn't know if you were going to get that. Uh, So I think that's a a good thing for student-athletes. And then finally, uh, something they classified as reporting. The NCAA will establish a phone number and email to allow college athletes, parents, or others to report alleged failures. The association will notify school and conference administrators who will be expected to take immediate action. And while this seems like, ah okay, I throw in, that's easy, right? Uh, Give me a hotline, I'll call, I'll complain Mm. to HR. As of right now, it's actually a big thing. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about what's going on at Colorado State and there's some concern about how they've handled the COVID-19, there's some concern about just from the players not how they handled. But Idaho says, hey, there's like three quarters of the kids like I'm not sure I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so for those and they have the support of the school, by the way, Paul Petrino and, and the A.D. Uh, they've supported the student athletes to at least question and their concerns about COVID-19, which is a good play by Idaho. But the Colorado State thing is is more of that Whoa. That last column for the NCAA.
0: Exactly. And, you know, basically in Colorado State right now, it's reported. And once again, this is kind of it's, you know, it's a player's word right now versus, you know, the general public. But that player came out and said that, you know, players were told basically that if they reported COVID-19 cases, it could affect their playing time going forward. And there was just a lot of. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of precautions that they, sh- they were being asked to take in reporting the cases just so obviously you can have the competitive advantage. Now, once again, that's just hearsay right now, but obviously these are pretty alleged allegations that need to be taken seriously.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hey, how many Division three schools would you think are in the state of Florida? Go. Coos, jump in if you want. Zero. Coos? Let's go with eight. Is there D3s? No, you said zero, and I think you're right, at least yeah. what I'm reading oh, wow. up on. Yeah. Zero. Yep. It surprises me. There's a bunch of D1 schools. Yeah. There's a good amount of D2 schools. Well, see, and that's a telling thing. Usually, if you have a lot of D2 schools, then you're not going to have a lot of D3 yeah, schools. Yeah, like when I was in school in Ohio, we were the only Division II school for a little bit, Ashland yeah. University. We are the sure. only one. There was a bunch of D3s and NAIAs. Yep. But then uh I think it was Finley that came on board. And now you look around there's a bunch of like Ohio Dominican was a NAIA. I think they're now Division II. Okay. I think there's a bunch of them now that have reclassified. Yeah. But you know, in Florida, there's a, a lot of NAIA yep. uh, or a good amount, I, I should say. It's distributed pretty equally, really. Uh Division Two mm-hmm. uh and Division One. You know, and my recollection of Division Two goes back to when I played, so seeing some of these names on here like are familiar. Barry. Uh, was Barry University, was that. Flagler, we know, uh, obviously. Florida Southern was a very good D2 in baseball. Uh, Lynn, that's uh, definitely the case. St. Leo, our coach actually had come from St. Leo. Uh, Tampa, and now West Florida has become a powerhouse in, in sports as well. And Tampa always has been. But even, like, a Nova Southeastern didn't realize they were Division Two. Palm Beach at Atlantic, uh, I, I think we had – I remember a high school soccer player from around here going down there. Uh, Embry-Riddle's D2, Eckerd's D2, but no D3s. Yeah. And so what am I getting at? Well, that means nobody in the state of Florida is impacted by this. Correct. But no fall championships in division three that's the ruling after the NCAA come out and said, "Hey, you have to decide on fall championships. you have to decide on eligibility factors. You have to decide these things uh division by division. Mm-hmm. Division three says, "Hey, you know what we ain't doing it uh, We're not doing fall championships, which is a bummer it is is it the right move or the wrong move." <sighs> Well, first of all, let me go ahead and pour one out
0: for all the Wyatt kids there in Wisconsin because in Wisconsin, you don't know, have I any D2 schools. They're all D3 schools, hence why you always have University of Wisconsin-Whitewater in the D3 football championships yeah. because
2: – And King, St. John's, right? Is exa- that where um, no, March came from? Uh, or is yeah, that Minnesota?
0: Yes, yeah, St. John's, Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Yeah, but um, Mount Union, where Cecil Shorts went, they're always in the championship as well. Listen, do I feel bad? You better believe it, man. Right, because obviously, like, that's, I mean, canceling championships like that, that's why you kind of play the game, right? Like, yeah, you play because of the passion and the fun and all that good stuff, but you play to try to attain a goal. You play to try to attain a title, and you take that away. That sucks, man. That sucks as a student-athlete to hear that. So I can't imagine what those kids are thinking right now. On the other side, though, like, listen, I've taken recruiting trips to D3 schools, okay? And I know the resources that they have it's nowhere even close, not even in the same realm of thinking as a D1 school. So with that being said, and obviously the the, the health and the safety should be the number one priority right now of student-athletes, if you don't have the funding and you, you don't have the resources to try to keep everybody safe, well, then I, I can kind of understand that. I'm not saying it's right, but that's just that's the way it is, Brent.
2: You know? yeah. No, well, listen, yeah. I, I think, listen, the first response is, that sticks. Mm-hmm. Why? Come on. Well, and then if you know the peram, you know D three. You know there is not a lot of money. No, absolutely. They don't have. I mean, there are some schools that have very good uh, donors and and have built good programs and all this stuff. Mount Union comes to mind. Yeah, but uh, across the board, there's not the kind of resources and the funds. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. What here's the positive of this is knowing the limitations. Knowing the possibility of not being able to fund it and getting in the hole, I think it could protect some of these schools, some of these programs down the road for student-athletes to have opportunities. Not mm. to participate in fall championships, but to participate. Yeah. If you go and do stuff that's going to get you in the hole big time from an economic standpoint, well, the next step to that is yeah. cut the program. Yeah. So. I think and by the way division 3 I don't even division 3 I, I I always want to check this are they even allowed to do scholarships in division 3 no i didn't think so no, no. Uh, you know now they'll get aid and all those things so it's just a different animal division
0: three is well and keep in mind too it's not like a bowl championship season in division three it's tournament style yes right so which is a cool style yeah i mean it's a fantastic (laughs) obviously you see that in basketball i'm talking about for football though obviously you just can't say all right well this team's number one number two like to just quarantine those two teams off and let them play doesn't work like that there's a tournament format there's a lot of travel revolving around that and obviously it's not feasible in terms of the cost to try to prevent covid19 where we can do that this year
2: here's the thought so i don't I don't necessarily sit here and applaud Division Three for doing this. I get it. I, I think I understand. I don't it. think they had a choice, you, you know. know and, I mean, and keep in mind, you got to understand one other thing: when it comes to just about anything, when you're putting something on, whether it's a local tournament here in town or something at the Division Three level, sponsorship is an important part of it. Well, sponsorship dollars, given the pandemic, given the economic structure of so many businesses right now, has, has to be hurting. It, it's got to be down. Uh, the gr- The greatest example of it is right here in the players championship. Yeah. nine million dollars a year gets distributed here in town well they didn 't get the nine million dollars to get distributed this year with no tournament, so that just shows you in in one little nutshell what these other folks could be dealing with. My point being division three probably be even a hard time getting some of these things sponsored that pays for certain things and therefore more economics, more dollars go into play what i 'm concerned about now. In college sports, given the ability to opt out, given the ability to get that year of eligibility back, which by the way, I think is the right move. Mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about any of the mechanisms in place. What I'm concerned for is really my kids, uh, but no, seriously, that <laughs> age group, no, that age group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody in high school now, really, mm-hmm. freshman, sophomore, junior, heck, you might go back to eighth grade. As we create these log jams, how much is the opportunity going to go down? For so many athletes across the country Mm -hmm. to get scholarship, to go play in college because the rosters are filled Mm -hmm. or too much. So we already know that I think 2020, I want to say 2020 and 2021, we know the ramifications of spring sports being canceled and those years of eligibility could expose some of those rosters too too many players. Sure. So therefore limit opportunity for the class of 2020 2021 in some spring sports. Yeah. Well, now we could see it across the board in football, in fall sports, in in basketball, in all winter sports. What kind of logjam is being well, created by COVID-19? It's nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. But what a, I mean, these kids in high school, some of them lost their season last year in the spring. And they might be losing opportunity at the college level to compete. Listen, there's definitely going to be a log
0: jam, but there's a lot of universities out there that can offer a scholarship. Now, the log jam could result in you maybe not being able to go to your dream school, and it could result in you not getting a scholarship from the school that you always, you know, as a kid you wanted to go to. That could be the case but I think that if you want to play bad enough, and and you want to receive a scholarship, you want to get your education paid for, and continuing your athletic career, um, at the next level, there's always going to be a spot for you, someplace. Now, once again, it may not be the most ideal spot. It may not be the spot that you had in mind, but there will be a spot available. Like I don't think I, I don't foresee like kids not getting scholarships now just because you know of the logjam. I mean, I think if you're truly good enough. Once someone's going to find you, especially with the way recruiting works nowadays, social media, all that stuff, someone's going to find you and you'll get an opportunity.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. As long as there are opportunities. And I True. think the shrinking pool of opportunities is really my concern here for uh, some of the student athletes. So the left and right I see from around here commits and and. People get those opportunities and maybe there are different ways and maybe we become uh, we, we come up with new structures yeah. down the road if those log jams present itself. But keep in mind, some of the big schools especially have offered kids since they were almost like in ninth grade, you know, or definitely in 10th grade, but maybe even in eighth grade. So. You talk about some of the bigger programs. They have offers on the table for years and years of classes. Mm -hmm. And now you start to wonder: okay, what if we get this many back? I remember when we had this early discussion when the the whole season got canceled for the spring. What kind of logjam would it create right away? Uh, Nick Morrow joined us from UNF. And at the time, I think, I want to say, he gave us the number. He said half the kids were planning on using that year of eligibility that they could get back and taking advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Well, half of them. Of all the ones that were eligible, I think we're around a dozen. Okay, Well, that's a lot of scholarship money the school has to come up with. But a dozen doesn't seem too bad if you spread it out over a few different sports. Remember, we had the softball coach on, Mm -hmm. and she had mentioned, I think they only had two seniors. One was going to utilize the opportunity to come back. One was not. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, they only had two seniors. They didn't have a team full like nine seniors. Yeah. And then what if you had nine seniors and eight of them said, I want to come back? Well, what's that do for your incoming recruiting class? That's the well, point. That's what I'm getting no, at. No, I, and that could not just be next year. It could be now sprinkled over two to three years potentially. No, I mean, listen. That's I understand that. And, and
0: listen, there's some teams out there that are super top heavy. There's teams out there that get new coaching staffs that are that are very young. Um, you know, heavy. I guess you'd say with the underclassmen. So, like, well, while I get it's going to be ex- to the extreme now, and it's going to be amplified. I mean. Teams have always had this problem though, Brett. Like for instance, like when I got to Murray State, we only had three seniors on uh, our senior class. We were made up of all freshmen and sophomores. By the time we graduated, obviously we were senior, we were upperclassmen heavy. So this happens in every single sport, regardless of a COVID nineteen or not. It's going to be amplified now a little bit, but obviously you have to adjust and you have to go forward.
2: Be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. It's a domino that might not fall for you know we might not know the extreme of it uh, for a couple of years, but it is. Again, I selfishly say this in a way I don't know if my kids are going to play I, I sure as heck don't plan on scholarships I think that's a foolish way to think about it mm-hmm. but I'm just thinking about like my kids would like I think to play ball in college just sure. like to play mm-hmm. are there roster spots available for those kids down the road mm-hmm. uh, and maybe mine are a little young they're just going in their freshman season but what about the sophomores what about the juniors what about the seniors of this year are there enough spots to go around or at least as many choices that those kids could have had I think the answer that is no but how drastic is it do you, uh, it's
0: uh, do you think they'll kind of follow suit with like what the g league's doing where they're creating an alternative to go where like you know if and i know that's more for like the top players right where they'll go to the yeah. g league for a year and do that like do you think especially in basketball maybe players will opt to do that instead because who knows what Season will go on, and well, I mean, really, who knows with that
2: side too? But yeah, I think it's a great point. That's actually something I thought of a little bit more from a baseball standpoint. Again, that's kind of the world I live in than uh, the basketball one. Basketball, the guys, especially the good players, right? Yeah, so they'll they'll, yeah. they'll uh follow the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if that's in Australia, in Europe for a year, or. If it's a really good booster. <laughs> yeah. Well, even now, like even now, some of the uh, some of the players are going to the G League because they can make or the G League. Much. And we're seeing that yeah. now with some of the big stars. Right. So I think basketball is a little bit different on that end. What I thought about it from is, is something less people care about. But I, I this crossed my mind and, and I haven't thought about it enough. And, and again, I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm not smart enough for this kind of stuff, <laughs> but I thought about it. Uh I Where is that pool of really good talent, say in baseball, going to go if the draft is only five rounds like it was this year? And so they continue to shrink the draft. So therefore there are less players making the pros, meaning more players are staying in college, the upper echelon talent, not leaving college even earlier. They're sticking through their senior year and waiting their turn. Mm-hmm. So we're, there's a whole... Second day in a row. Bevy of talent. <laughs> uh, uh, back to back bevies. There's a there's all this talent though, mm-hmm. log jammed, backed up. Where do they go? And what I actually wondered is what happens like uh, in the summertime for baseball guys, mm-hmm. if you're in your college years, say you're your sophomore junior, whatever it might be, you go to the Cape Cod League. Mm-hmm. That's the premier one. But there's a North Great Northwest League oh, and there's, yeah, there's a league in Missouri and them. there's a collegiate league here in Florida. Yeah, and there's that's all these. That, that, that's what my cousin's currently playing in right now. So you have that in college. What I wonder is those leagues could be flooded with supreme talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really good talent. Sure. Like that could be some really good baseball. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe that's where your undrafted free agents end up coming from, and, uh, especially if they shrink the Major League Baseball draft. So my, that's way down the road. I think it's way down the road. Uh, and I might be overthinking it, and I'm probably missing something along the way. But that's where my mind goes on this for at least this, uh, it's, it's not an era of kids, but it's a, it's a segment of kids that, sure. that are kind of within a certain age group and ready to make that decision either this year, next year, or the next couple of years. That's who it's impacting the most. The kids that are in college already, the student-athletes, they're kind of safe. They mm-hmm. can opt out. They get their year back. Mm-hmm. They didn't play this past spring. They can get their year back if they want to, and they should be. Uh, but I wonder about the high school kids, not just here in town, not just here in the state of Florida, all across the country, uh, and how many of those opportunities will take place. So, and it probably varies from sport to sport. I yeah. No doubt about it, for sure, for sure. Uh, one other, a quick note uh, from a college uh, level thing: uh, NCAA obviously coming out with some of those parameters. Division three saying no fall championships. Uh, more to come, I would assume in the in the next uh, week or so. Uh, Big Ten comes out with their schedule. Mm-hmm. Does it? You're a Wisconsin guy. (laughs) Does it make it feel real? Uh, And they're starting early, man. Yeah, they are. What do you think about that dynamic, quickly, about the Big Ten starting a full three weeks ahead of, say, the SEC? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, okay, to me
0: it doesn't make a difference. I mean, like, why don't you want to be kind of lined up and everything? Because obviously the goal here is to go to a, a championship game, right? It's to get teams in bowl games. Where we'll see if there's bowl games even. But, like, you know what I'm talking about. It's about to get teams in the, the the championship showcases, let's call it like that. So, like, to me, if you take that much extra time off, does that kind of hurt you a little bit in terms of maybe being a little rusty? Things like that. And I, and I get, like, nobody knows what's going to happen. So
2: I understand that. I just I think it's kind of eerie. Well, here's the thing. thats It's a great call you just said. So the Big Ten's going to say, hey, Labor Day weekend, we're going to get going. Yeah. That's what we're basically getting going, uh, other than that Week Zero thing that some people would play on. But, you know, don't say that yeah, we don't like Week Zero. Yeah, I don't want that. Uh, and and by the way, some will still. The Big 12 said, hey, you can still play on that Week Zero, and there will be other group of five teams that could play on that Week Zero time frame. Yeah. I think it's silly in this this time frame and in, in, in what's going on to move games up to that. That, that doesn't seem to make sense mm-hmm. to me, but... They can do it if they want in in some of the uh, divisions and and some of the conferences. Well, it is interesting to me that let's just take the Big Ten and the SEC, two of the biggest. Big Ten starts Labor Day, SEC starts uh, the twenty sixth, three weeks later. And I think this could be a new study, to a degree, of how we treat college football playoff and some of those big bowl games, Mm -hmm. because. the layoff has always been massive, like too too much. Mm-hmm. If you're not playing in your conference championship, well, then you're probably not going to the college football playoff, but you might be playing in a big bowl game, which means you played the last game in the last week of November, and you're not playing again until January 1st or 2nd or whatever it might be. For sure. A lot so of time off, man. That's a big time off. Yep. Well, if you're playing in your conference championship, you still have like three weeks off. hmm and that's a, that's a weird thing to navigate for a coach. You give them a little time around Christmas break. You got to make sure they're still conditioned. You want them focused, but you want them to take a little bit of a break. All those things go on your mind. Some people figure it out and some don't. Some teams play well, some don't. Mm-hmm. But what I'm wondering is if the SEC championship and the ACC championship are on December 19th, which is plausible, mm-hmm. and now you're only taking about, I don't know, two weeks off before you're playing the college football playoff, could that become the new norm? And saying, hey, they only took two weeks off. We play be- We like this better. This is better than taking f- potentially four weeks off some 30 days in between games.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't mind that at all, right? Because to me, like, the- there's that br- – I mean, listen, I didn't go to a, d- a D1 score. I played in a bowl game. But I can only imagine, like, yeah, you take some time off. You hang out with the family a little bit maybe for the holidays. But it's like, you know, you're still in that kind of mode. You're still in ball mode and everything. So if you were to short it up a little bit and kind of take that month away and just kind of get it done with right away, well, now, number one, your team is obviously not going to be as rusty, Um, you know, and they still have an adamant of time to rest. So I'm actually all for that. Now, in terms of scheduling and obviously like the you want to have it on New Year's and all this stuff, I mean, there are some things that go against that, Brent. But I
2: think overall from the players' perspective, I'm sure they'd love to do that. Stephon Diggs just got a COVID-19 race. I'll explain that. Plus a little later on we'll get to that Billy Donovan topic. Yeah. Uh has he validated himself as an NBA coach with Coach of the Year already? Had he done that? Yeah. Did did you see the murderous
0: role that Wisconsin's got this year to play? No, what they got? Starting off at Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota. <laughs> decent game. Maryland. Purdue. Illinois. Michigan. Uh, not a bad team. Iowa? Eh, come on. What's up, John Bachman? And then Rutgers. What a what a murderer's road. Just I got two games. Mediocrity,
2: two games. Two games and maybe iffy with Iowa and even Nebraska. We'll see where God. they're
0: at. But hey, two games. Two, two games. games. Two games. Yeah. Pretty but, good games. Well, so. Keep in mind though, they're supposed to play. They're supposed to play out of Fighting Irish in Lambeau Field, but then that game fell through. So
2: yeah, some people are going to get the benefit of the roll of the dice. You better believe it. When we come back, we do talk more football, NFL style, about the Jags. And we will have the Billy Donovan topic, plus uh, the big raise for Stefan Diggs during COVID-19. I'll show you how it happened next on ESPN 690.
1: I gotta do what I gotta do. Uh, they brought me here for a reason, and uh, I'm just doing what I can do to help my teammates and to help myself and to help this organization get to the point that we need to be. And that's all I can do. You know, My teammates put trust in me, I put trust in them, and uh, if they ever need to count on me, they can count on me. I'll be there for them on and off the field. I'm excited and I'm comfortable, and uh, I feel like I can do that. That I can help lead this team.
2: Well, you have no choice. You're going to have to do it, Josh Allen. They need you. They need some leadership. They need some young guys to be veterans in a hurry. And uh, certainly could be the case for Josh Allen. I think he is uh, ready to handle those duties, both uh, from a playing and production standpoint to probably in the locker room and uh, off the field. So, interesting thing about the Jags and as. The players continue to paint the picture of what the setup is. He referenced today Aaron Lynch mm-hmm. and getting to know him. But then he also said, gosh, who was it? Oh, Caleb Chaseon. how he really doesn't have a great feel yet outside of what he already knew. Because of the way they've been split up in groups. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's just a further illustration, and we have to pound this point home, that the defense isn't all together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all the pass rushers aren't all together. Uh, The way this thing has been split up, and I'm still trying to get a handle on that, but just from the sound of it, uh, much like Gardner-Mitchie was asked yesterday, uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, about... Like they have this walkthrough wall. I'm assuming some great technology. I think we've discussed it before, but uh, that they're able to do some cool things sure. uh, on this wall now that's in the building. <clears throat> haven't seen it. Yeah. But other teams have had it. I, it reminds me, I think Tampa was one of the first one to put kind of like this virtual reality type deal in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, Mark Long was asking him, were you, about it? Said, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he hadn't been in the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so yeah. he couldn't even describe it. Yeah. So pretty wild. You know, that's, that's – it's just it's, – it's hard to – they're going on with stuff. It's not normal. We get it. But I think we have to remind ourselves just how abnormal it is at times this part of it. Again, I feel like – and maybe this is just personal. I feel like next week when we get on that field and we see it in live action, mm-hmm. at least the media, I understand the fans can't. But the media, to some degree, will be able to see it in live action, and they'll be like, "Oh, okay, they really are practicing. Like this really is football. It looks like it's going to happen." And then I really think the next week after that, really the week of August seventeenth, when things are supposed to start ramping up mm-hmm. toward the regular season, I think that's when it will be like, "Oh, okay, it's football. It's hot. We're three weeks away." Uh, they're going to hit each other, they're actually going to wear helmets, and they're going to be out there, and they're going to be down to 80 players so they can all practice together. I think that, I think August 17th to me is when we'll be like, okay, it is real.
0: So we're talking about Josh Allen and this defensive line, and I guess just what it looks like going forward now. Keep in mind, you know, like obviously with the offensive side of the ball, you have a new offensive coordinator coming in. Gardner Minshew has to have a big year. We've been over this a lot. And one could say, like, yeah, I'm sure they've worked out together a little bit. They've ran routes, and they're all on the same page in terms of the routes to run the play calls and some of the verbiage. Now, you ingrain yourself even more once you get on the field. My point, though, is that if you're on offense, if you're on the offensive side of the ball, like, you dictate the tempo. Like, you – it's more scientific. It's more calculated where you go here, you go here, let's run this play fine. The defense's job is to react off of that. So when we talk about reaction, when we talk about responding, you talk about the defensive line. Well, that's where chemistry has to come in. Okay, and we talk about our defensive line right now with Josh Allen, very young. Chase On's going to be very young, obviously first year guy. There's no chemistry right now. They they don't know like when we start calling games here, like they don't know who's going to be the game caller, what kind of games you're going to run, what's people's specialties like. Those things are forged, obviously, in a rookie camp, in OTAs, and even a mini camp. And now you have to forge those things as quickly as possible when this training camp starts, when, you know, when these helmets come on. So with that being said, it helps when you have a veteran type of presence, a leadership who's been there before. But unfortunately, right now, you have guys who are new to the Jaguars, obviously, number one, and you have guys, number two, who are
2: extremely young on that defensive line. Yeah. Was, you know, Josh Allen was asked about that, uh, like how, how hard is it to build chemistry basically? How different is it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's legit. It's real. Yeah. I, I think every team goes through that. I, I don't I understand the Chiefs are the Chiefs and a lot are coming back and there's some other teams that have a lot coming back, but every team goes through a bunch of changes every year and some of those Pieces are critical. Uh, you know, listen. Tom Brady's been playing forever, but how he meshes with the rest of the Bucks, mm-hmm. how that, how players go from being in awe of playing with Tom Brady to just playing with Tom Brady—that's probably a bit of a process, quite frankly. So, um, I'd rather have that issue than maybe some of the Jags issues. to Be honest, but I think everybody's going to balance that, uh, and I, I just these further illustrations of kind of what it looks like and what it is and how challenging it is, and to their credit. We've now heard from, I would say, a handful of players. Mm -hmm. Nobody's making excuses. Uh, They're not saying, man, I don't get it. In fact, Linder, I think we played a soundbite earlier, he had mentioned these couple of weeks are going to be helpful for the offensive line. This slow Mm -hmm. ramp-up, in honesty, is not that different. What do we talk about with offensive linemen a lot? When we're out there in the training camp practices, we say, well, it's really hard to say. I mean, they're not. Hitting other people and trying to bounce people off the ball, you know, to, to that degree. Show us a preseason game.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Isn't that what we kind of say? Yeah, for sure. So right. it's interesting for well, we're that not position. See a preseason game though, now are we though this year? Well, we're not going to. But yeah. I'm just. Say, I guess the slow ramp up part. Linder was like, "Ah, eh, it's not that. It's not that bad. It, mm-hmm. It's not that different." In fact, <laughs> I liked his honesty too because he said, "This off season, I know we're going through a pandemic and all this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot not to like about it. But if you're a veteran like me." It was a dream offseason. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I love sure. his honesty there. Well, and listen, and, you know, we
0: talked about the offensive line a little bit, and we've kind of given some of our sunshine and rainbows things of terms of why we're optimistic. Let's just say that. But, you know, going forward, though, we have to ask ourselves with this offensive line and what we saw last year. Now, if you want to go off profootballfocus.com, you know, obviously they had him ranked right like 26, 27th to close the year out. Not good. Now take those numbers for how you want to take them, but I think Jaguars fans, um, for the most part, would agree that the offensive line underachieved last year. Okay, well now you essentially bring the same offensive line from last year to this new year. Okay, it's it's the same exact look, same exact players. Now keep in mind you're going to move some pieces around. Right, Richardson now is going to be fighting for that left tackle spot. AJ Cann has kind of cemented himself now as that starting guard. You're not going to see a guard rotation, which I'm a huge fan of. Can't wait to see that. So it may look a little different, but for the most part, it's the same guys coming set aside from Ben Barch. So if you're trying to be the sunshine and rainbows pumper right now, let's just say, Brent, and you're trying to coax Jaguars fans into thinking, like, hey, you guys should be excited for this. Why should they, though? If if the exact same team from last year, the exact same offensive line from last year of what we saw is in this new season now, why are you excited? Good question. Like what's <laughs> what, what do you think is going to change? You know, I mean, let, let's be honest here. I mean, obviously, Gruden coming in could change some of those things up a little bit. But, like, we saw what they had to offer last year. So why would
2: this year be drastically different, I guess? Well, I think there's... I've said all along, I think there's a few things to hang your hat on. Mm. LaVisca Chennault getting added to the fold. Mm-hmm. The offensive philosophy, which would lean on Gruden, going to Minshew's strength. Mm-hmm. I think growth from Minshew, who showed some promise. Now, people who don't seem to want to admit it, but I think he showed some promise in a lot of different ways. And so growth there. And then I would add the fourth one is, and this is a little bit more of a uh, hidden in hope, is that because that offensive line played together for an entire season mm. – that's always a good recipe going forward. The more you can play together, develop that chemistry, get the young guys on board, get the injured guys back healthy – I think that's the biggest if, but I think that's a fourth one that kind of weighs in there. I would not be surprised to see their offensive line play a lot better mm-hmm. because they just spent 16 games together last year, and, and they went through some of the struggles, and they got a guy who's now back to full health in and, and Cam Robinson mm-hmm. and, and has a lot to prove, and you got a guy in Juwan Taylor who's now not a rookie anymore, so you would suspect some of his times where he had lapses in play, yeah. penalties, I think he had like 15 of them, should be at least minimized.
0: Well, keep in mind, I mean, but you also have Andrew... Norwell, who's going on a, like a another year of just playing, you know, and obviously taking a toll on your body. So one could wonder right now if he's on the back down of his career. So I, so I guess here's my question, then. And you made some good points. Obviously, Jawan Taylor, you like him going forward. You know, Cam Robinson, is he 100% healthy? We'll see. You know, I'm like, I get it, okay? And I'm not trying to run on the parade here, but I guess my next question is going to be, and forget what you see on paper because I've been very adamant about this. What I see on paper from the Jacksville offensive line, I'd be excited about. Okay, I think a lot of teams will take that offensive line right now. But my question to you, Brent, is we assume it's going to be better this year. okay? And it'll be hard to be worse in terms of penalties and all that. So, yeah, it's probably going to look a little better this year. But my question to you is do they have the talent? Do they have the culture? Do they have the offensive philosophy, which we don't really know right now? But do they have all that stuff to cultivate
2: an offensive line that's considered like a top 10 or even a top 15? Yeah, I... I don't know. I guess you, I, I would certainly, it's a blind faith type of thing. But mm-hmm. again, I th- like you said, is you would take a lot of those players. Jawan Taylor looks like he's going to be a really good player. Right guard is right guard. And by the way, AJ Cannon looked like he played pretty well. Like it's, it came on at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linder is again, if he was on a good team, Linder would be a pro bowler. Correct. I think people would, have, would agree with that. You have a former all pro guy. Any coach, and, and again, left tackles, uh, question mark, without question. It is a question mark. But I think any coach in the league would take, forget about the names, would take that kind of, those kind of resumes with their guys and say, I can make this work. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think anybody would take that. Now, can they make it work is a, is a different animal. But to your point about the offensive line in that sense, I know there's split views on Minshew. hmm but, again, if you go on the resume of the, uh, of the running back, he's had a pretty good run. Uh, is he is he Alvin Kamara? I, is he Christian McCaffrey? No. Mm-hmm. But is he someone that a lot of folks would say, again, I can work with that, uh, well, that mm-hmm. production. DJ Chark's a Pro yeah. Bowl guy. Mm-hmm. Lavisca Chenault gets people excited. And I think the bigger question marks is the depth at wide receiver. And what you have at tight end, what will show up at tight end, I can make a case for them, I understand. Mm-hmm. But what will actually show up and produce, I think, is the biggest question mark. You like their receivers, I but do. I think the depth of their receivers is still a question mark um, for some. So, again, that's why I, I think most teams that would have this much coming back on the offensive side mm-hmm. – would be expected to do a little bit more. People would be at least a little high on him, even if you didn't like the defense. Mm. Even if it's well, they're the Jags. Even if you're not high on Marone, I think people would say this offense, they could do some fun things. Well, but see, no,
0: I agree with you there, bro. But this is the problem though, with the offensive line. It's the fact that, listen, I can sit here and say, DJ Chark, yeah, Jaguars fans are excited for him. I mean, he's a pro bowler. Go look at his stats. Go watch his highlights. Fair enough. Levisca Chanel, Jaguars fans are excited for him. You know, all the draft experts agree. Like, this guy is a dynamic player. He's going to fit well in that grueling system. Guy squats five hundred fifty pounds. I can't (laughs) say it enough, Brent. Can't say it enough. And by the way, lock it in. Shorter shorts and Gardner Minshew. I guarantee it. Just like the guy from Men's Warehouse. I guarantee it. So, you so so you know Dang was
2: endorsement today. Know, about maybe this. what's up Men's Warehouse? I think they actually <laughs> just went out of business, didn't they?
0: <laughs> it, I'm pretty know. sure. That, I think they went bankrupt. Actually. I was going to say while well, we're they?
2: at it, if they do want to <laughs> cut the check,
0: I do need to get some suits for the wedding. Well, well you, either more apt the... to wear them than they're yeah, is. <laughs> well, so yeah, So, Men's Warehouse, Either cut the check or condolences for going out of business. I'm <laughs> pretty sure other. one <laughs> of those two. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. But my point is, listen. So, so the receivers, you know, they're going to be good. Leonard Fournette, we've seen glimpses of brilliance, Brent. We, 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 we've seen him you know, have a, the fastest mile per hour in the league, whatever it was that one time. So like, we know the running back situation, Chris Thompson too. That's fine, okay? Because we have the stats, we have the numbers. Leonard Fournette, team's leading receiver last year. We have all these numbers to go off of. Yeah, and obviously Gardner Minshew, you feel good about it. Some feel great about it. Some are kind of eh, but you at least feel confident that we're going to find out what he's made of. Cool. With the offensive line though, we don't have the stats to tell us no, that. you don't. Okay, with the offensive it's line, Brent, all we well, all the stats we have are the penalties. Okay, and all the stats we have are just what our eyes tell us. And what our eyes told us last year is that it was hard to convert a third and one. It was hard to convert a fourth and one. The goal line offense was atrocious. Okay, penalties nonstop. That's what our eyes tell us. That's what we have to go off of right now. We don't have stats to go off of. So I, I get what you're saying where it's like, well, there's a lot to be excited about. You better believe it. I mean, I, I just listed out the reasons why you should be excited. But my point is you don't have those stats. You don't have the accolades of the offensive line.
2: And the offensive line is a big part of that team. Yeah, uh, yeah. no doubt. Uh, and you have to trust what they see and what they did. And they said we believe in it. Yeah. And I understand how trust goes. Uh, can we play Josh Allen to break? Because uh, I said – I, I took me a while to get to this but i teased and we'll talk more about it on the other side but I want you to hear the break and why I said it. I feel like the Jags are continue to be coy about the 4334 stuff. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, listen to what Josh Allen said and when we come back we'll talk about it.
1: Just from like just from game plan wise, three four four three defense. That's 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 his choice. I have I probably don't have a say in what defense we get to run. So whatever he chooses to play, or run strictly going to do that. But being being like talking about stand up or three point, man, I'm, I've been getting more comfortable in my three point uh, because I know majority of the time I did that last year. Uh, but a little bit of stand up. But uh, this year, you know, I'm looking to play just strictly rush so i get to do a little more stand up which i'm getting which i'm you know obviously more comfortable with but i know you know if anything goes wrong or something i have to move to big end you know i can definitely switch but stand up defensive end uh is something that i you know feel like i can approve on and i feel like i can bring a better asset for this team but coming off the edge is is, is my biggest asset so any position you know stand up or three-point I'm looking to improve on this year and and become a heck of a player.